Hello, and welcome to the Making a Living from Philosophy podcast. I'm your host, Yona, and this episode is How to Get Away with Being a Positivist. So positive and negative are deeply intertwined concepts in our culture, in many of our ideas, many of our understandings of the world, and they have been since there was philosophy in the world. We don't see any real positivist agenda in philosophy until the Middle Ages. When philosophers start thinking about the ways logically we make arguments, they define then two ways of making an argument, the via negativa, or the negative way, and the via positiva, or the positive way. To make a positive argument, you would state what is. You would give the things in the world, and you would tell of their properties and their arrangement, and very likely, you would tell of their causation, the way they affect one another. To be a negativist, or to make a negative argument, You would define the things that you're talking about and their properties by telling us what they are not. You would venture to talk about them as causes, or rather as apprehensions of causes. For instance, we see the argument for the existence of God, the ontological argument, from God's properties could be presented one of two ways. It could be presented in the positive by saying that God has omnipotence and omnipresence, and these things entail existence, so God must exist. Or it could be presented in the negative. In this case, we would argue that nothing that is omnipresent could possibly not exist. In one case, we're taking the responsibility, the burden of proof, by stating that this is what is, and this is what it looks like, and this is what it must be. In the other case, we're placing the burden of proof outside of us, and we're relying on others to understand the shape we are positively defining through our negative comments. The Via Negativa is heavily associated with Platonism and the Neoplatonic movement, in which knowledge is revealed to us. See, we come to know things by understanding what they are not. The Via Positiva is heavily associated with the Aristotelian way of viewing the world, in which we come to know things by understanding their properties, understanding how we categorize them, understanding how they are significant, and how they are substantial. Now this point is way too technical, or maybe a bit too technical for the masses or the scholars, and very few thinkers and scholars had gotten into this argument, 
and seen this in philosophy in the Middle Ages. And what became more prevalent was realism versus nominalism, which is, are things really in the world, or are we perceiving them in the world, putting our language to them, realizing what they are through experiencing them. Now, obviously, we can see a token of the Platonism in nominalism and the token of Aristotelianism in the realism. This argument is very effectuous in our contemporary society, as it was taken up by logical positivism in the early 1900s. Logical positivism was a theory that told us that things are verified through experience, and this is how we know truth. So scientifically, we gather our information, we categorize, we make a hypothesis, and our hypothesis is proved right through experiment. And when it is proved right through experiment, then we have knowledge of the world, scientific knowledge of the world. Furthermore, our scientific knowledge of the world constructs our moral knowledge of the world. So, through the verification of our scientific propositions, we get our notions of behavior, and we get our map of what to do in life. Of course, as with any philosophical time, this wasn't the only way of looking at things. The other way of looking at things is falsification, which turns out to be more in line with the heart of scientific method, and eventually becomes the prevailing way of looking at experimentation in the sciences. Now, falsification tells us that only the hypotheses that can be falsified are valid, and only do we get knowledge when we falsify a hypothesis. We never truly know what's going on, but if we could prove something wrong, we have some knowledge there of what it's not. Logical positivism won many fans. It had a great promise of power, as positivism always does. However, it was used to justify countless atrocities. Even something as grand as the Nazi way of being, or the worldview of the Third Reich, was based on certain core notions of logical positivism. And many do see the theory of logical positivism as a evolution itself of the theory of the evolution of species. See, natural selection leads us to be the best positive verifying machines out there. And if we are truly uncovering science, in our positivity, and good moral science, in our positivity, in our verification, and we are genetically the purest and the best, well, isn't it in our interest to remove those other elements from the evolutionary world? 
it's because of these lines of thinking that logical positivism became politically shunned. Not to mention further lines of thinking that develop into quantum mechanics that tell us that we cannot truly define something without interacting with it. Now, even though logical positivism has been shunned, and people have long since turned away from the scientific matter of positive versus negative, there's at hand in our society right now a spiritual positive versus negative discussion that's happening. Where we're talking about whether we should face the world with an attitude that's positive, whether we should get rid of negative behaviors, or whether we should accept negative behaviors and try to understand them. It's a very complicated matter, and it has in it all the seeds of every positive-negative discussion that's ever been had. I personally believe that there are wonderful things to be said both about the negative way and the positive way in life. But I also know that life is a continuum and that as much as part of it is thrust upon us without our choosing, we do have our choices. I'm a person who happened to have grown up with so much negativity around me and my survival mechanisms greatly rely on taking negativity and turning it into positivity. I think it's this um, trend, you know, this ability in people that led to like the indie movement and it gives us this notion of a tragic hero, you know, the geek or the nerd with so much knowledge and so much skill who overcomes the biological natural selection odds to become the, you know, winner in natural selection. And that's a lovely picture, you know. It resonates in my heart, but I just can't get behind it anymore. It's not okay when we go to be positive. For instance, now I'm at a point in my life where I'm ready to embrace my economic self and find my place in the world in terms of successes and bringing value to the world. And I think to myself, if all I've known is, you know, taking negativity, taking crap and spinning it into gold, taking that negativity and turning it into positivity, I don't want to go out in the world and create all this negativity that I could, you know, make something out of. I don't want to be a tragic hero. I want to be a positivist in this way that there are certain things that I'm not sure of, but I accept, maybe axiomatically, you know, because they allow certain laws to be carried out, certain games to be played, certain steps to be taken. And as a result of that, I accept that when you take the steps, you get to some conclusion, you arrive somewhere. 
And I do believe that negativity is part of that process, but it's only a secondary concern and a secondary formative part of that process. It's all positive, but when you start actually sitting down and doing the thing and being economical, you have to be willing to adjust your axioms, you have to be willing to make new propositions and look at them. So you have to integrate the negativity properly into the positive. But if I chose to go about this all by creating negativity first and then turning it into positives, I would have to go about everything in a completely and totally different way. I would have to rely on chaos without ever offering definitions. I would have to truly believe that the things that I reduce to absurdity are actually absurd and not just simple arguments or way of ways of looking at things. When it comes to reality, it seems that the brute material nature of the world overrides our logic and our understanding. We could look at the question in a different way. When going out into the world, are we supposed to believe that we're right and that we know what we're doing, or that we're wrong and that we don't know what we're doing and we're learning? There are definitely benefits to both. If I go out believing that I'm right and I'm not prepared to be wrong, there's certainly a drawback to that. And if I go out believing that I'm wrong and I'm not prepared to be right, there's definitely a drawback to that. It's a trap to ever believe that things are continuously always true and always the same. And things could get so complicated, so many ways of thinking about them, so many ways of linking them together. If we look at it as a logical problem, there's a symmetry in logic, which tells us that any group of and statements could be expressed as a group of not or statements, and any group of or statements can be expressed as a group of not and statements. If we think about the fact that to say P, therefore Q, is equivalent to saying not P or Q, then we could see that our conditional thinking about the world can be flipped over and over and over on its head. And this is not a mistake. The mirror nature of the system is based on truth, which is the proof of the system. And see, this is why I'm a compatibilist. Because when it gets to be all too much, and when there's just too many ways of going about it, none of us want to miss out. None of us want to be fools in that way that we didn't take something that was right in front of our eyes. So why do we have to choose one way? Why do we have to choose one convention? Can I tell you what's right to do? 
No. Can I tell you what options you have and give you tons of different ways to adjudicate between those options? Ways to try them? Series in which to try them with? Sure. I mean, there's a multitude of ways to mathematically analyze things like that. Hill climbing and goals and state-based trees and they all have their wisdom to them. So I'm a compatibilist, so I could accept all this. But in a very certain and narrow way, I'm a positivist. I'm a person who believes that it is more valuable to attempt to create something out of something than to take a loss and turn that into something. I can't, you know, steadfastly hold that rule. I could give you plenty of counterexamples, you know, in which it doesn't work. But when I'm going out in life and when I'm trying to do something constructive, I approach it with a positive plan in mind, ready to comp, ready to think, ready to dissolve certain things and replace them. And this, I think, really is the best attitude to take when approaching the kind of society we have today. It might be more timeless, but certainly here and now it's so very helpful on so many levels. And I hope that this explanation and this episode, which isn't over yet, because we're going to continue talking about this and spelling it out and exploring it and talking about how it works in life, is bringing you peace and enjoyment and anything you want to take from it. And, like, thank you for your time. Thank yourself for your time. If you want to study more about positivism, either through the Middle Ages or through logical positivism, I suggest you do. Just look it up, dig in, just try to expose yourself to it. You know, it just helps to even know that it's there, whether or not it's truth or not. And, you know, thank you for listening to... (laughs) my ideas about compatibilism and why, oh why, I believe so heavily in this kind of compatibilistic philosophy. Have yourselves a wonderful day. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Making a Living from Philosophy podcast. I'm your host, Yona. This is How to Get Away with Being a Positivist, the second segment. The salient difference that we noticed between positivism and negativism is the way one approaches an argument. What's really happening, what's really different, is something called the semantic assent to the argument. Now, semantics is how our theory or our proposition 
is related to the world that theory or proposition talks about. It's how the language of the theory and the discussion and meaning of the theory relates to the world. So the semantic assent is how the proposition or the theory guides you to the knowledge it wants you to know. Like we said, when being a positivist, we give actual objects and actual properties and relations to build a picture. And when being a negativist, we give a list of what we're not trying to say to draw a picture. We could see it like two forms of a treasure map. In one, we draw the features and we draw a path and we mark the treasure with X. In the other, we list the features that you would pass by that aren't the treasure, leading you to the spot to actually search. It's not the rock that looks like an old man. It's not the grotto of trees or the oasis in the desert. It's past that. Now it gets confusing when we say, as I said in our previous segment, that logically positive and negative are interchangeable. Perhaps even one the same. Let's understand this for a second. The very basis of logic, of truth and false, requires the mirror quality, the mirror nature, that on one side you have truth and on the other you have false. So everything you say, everything you can express, can either be a statement about the falsity of a statement bringing knowledge or the state a statement about the truth of a statement bringing knowledge the difference is not in the logic of the statement the difference is only in the semantic assent another example of this is that for aristotle there were two different types of possibility there was the contingency type of possibility. That is, for anything to be able to be true or false, it has to be contingent. Its opposite must be able to be true, just like it. That way one is able to be true and the other is able to be false. If we want to say that a certain person is sitting in a chair, it has to be equally possible that the person is both sitting in the chair or not sitting in the chair for us to have any knowledge to assent to this proposition. It's contingent. And in a contingent world, we have to check to see what the truth of things are. This way of looking at things places possibility as a quality in relation to necessity. Things are either necessary or not necessary, and in that, they are either possible or not possible. The other way of looking at things is to set necessary and possible as opposites, where information is either necessary information, and it's proven and known, and cannot be contingent, for it has to be, such as the information in the mind of God, 
or its possible information. And it is contingent and understood as contingent, but with no relation to necessity. It's a different kind of information. This is like the difference between opinion and knowledge that we see in Parmenides. So is possibility a condition of necessity, or is it opposite, a different kind of way to look at the world, where things are chaotic and possible, and end up happening, and in history and the past are necessary? Or is it that things are either necessary and deterministic, and we misunderstand them when we have possible types of opinions about them? Or in the other extreme, are they possible, and we misunderstand them when we have only necessary opinions about it? But what do positivity and negativity have to do with necessity and possibility? The answer is that they're all intentions, human intentional modal notions. When we evaluate knowledge and we say that it is positive knowledge or negative knowledge, we put the same kind of opinion not the exact same meaning of opinion, but the same kind of opinion, a modal opinion around it when we say that things are necessary and possible. And in fact, the list of modal equivalent propositions or words don't end at possible and necessary and positive and negative. They include things like, I think, and I believe, and I understand, and I know. Also things like, it happened, I experienced it at the time. And incredibly, even things like, it should be this way, or it ought be this way. Logically speaking, these are all intentions and can be dealt with in the same way because they have the same type of basic relationship to our propositions. That is, they qualify their truth or falsity. They say something about their truth and falsity. So yet again, the issue of positive or negative, positivist or negativist, is an issue of semantic assent, and not simply of just the logic of a statement, because, logically, all we're doing is putting some kind of intention on top of our knowledge, on top of our truths. But, actually, what we're doing is transforming the way that someone comes to that knowledge, that someone would believe it, or someone would know it. Now that we know this, what can we say about positivity and negativity? What had we said? We had said that the positivists, the logical positivists, were embraced at first so passionately. But it turned out that the theory leads us to overconfidence. Things like ethnic cleansing can happen with this theory. 
also we said of negativists of the negative argument that it allows for obfuscation it allows for us to hide things to put the burden of proof elsewhere and we concluded that we shouldn't want to talk about a supreme you know variable whether we want to do things positively in a positive way or negatively in a positive way or positively in a negative way and if there is just one right way to do it we concluded that or at least I concluded that that ought not be the way to go about it for I had had to in my life turn negativity into positivity and I feel I am at a place in my life where I only want to gain off of positivity positivity if we're left with any semblance of positivism it is one that is more like humanism one that embraces our life and our being and our species and in this sense you could see why a lot of people want for positivity in the world i in fact think or tend to think that whether or not people know it they're expressing the best argument that could be given to them in language and we attempt to understand ourselves clearly and when we understand ourselves more clearly we see that we can really only be talking about something sort of narrow like in this case positivity could really only be about embracing life itself and humanity itself and not whether we should always wake up and fill our mind full of good thoughts or whether we should live in a way such as that we only capitalize off positive things these are more indirect values if there's any supreme positivity or negativity to be had it's only that very narrow sense in which we accept life possibly as a gift but certainly as something that is deeply and inherently valuable we're going to continue this episode with another segment by bringing on my lovely wife Diana to discuss some informal experiences and ponderings about positivity and negativity just because I've come to some conclusion doesn't mean that the day is won or the thing is sold there's possibly other things to be said about negativity and positivity in a more concrete and absolute sense so we're not at the conclusion yet but after our introduction i feel like we've made a fair amount of sense out of what we have sitting before us please feel free to interact none of this is scripted none of it is written maybe only in so much as i've pondered these things for years and years and years and the conversations take a certain shape are they scripted and written and if you're listening to my 5 minute history of philosophy all of that stays 
really towards a more scripted and written nature, just because I'm conveying information and not trying to directly have a conversation. But this here is a conversation. I'm not the only one talking, and please contact me. Get in touch with the show in any way, and get involved in any way you want. You know, we have a lot of enthusiasm over here about getting involved, and there's no such thing as a bad line of thinking. So, uh, as always, with love and positive appreciation of humanity and being, thank you. And thank yourself for taking your time and giving yourself some time to think through what could be a very complicated, blistering, buzzing confusion of a world, but doesn't have to be. Here's to your mental health. Have a wonderful day. Welcome to the Making a Living from Philosophy podcast. This is How to Get Away with Being a Positivist the third segment, and today we have my favorite guest, my life partner Diana, here to discuss her take on all this, this vast issue. So, uh, yeah, here we go. Welcome. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? I hope everyone is doing good. I hope this reaches you in love and light and peace. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the word positive. What does it mean to be positive? You know, we hear a lot of Stay positive and, you know, focus on the positive stuff and other stuff like that that we say to each other and we get told all day, every day. What does it mean to be positive? And is that as opposed to being negative? And is this duality necessary? Being positive to me is not the same as being positive to you. We each have our own versions of what it means to be positive. For some people, being positive means not being angry. For some people, being positive means being really happy. For some people, being positive means being balanced. I think that we can all reach a state of positive that can help us heal and go on and make sense of the world because it takes a mind for us to behold our own consciousness and and feel alive and death is the end of all things so this definition of positive is definitely a key element for survival because we have to stay alive so we can keep being positive so they kind of preclude and include one another it's a cause consequence ad infinitum in a loop 
being positive keeps us alive. We're alive so we could be positive. Am I being positive right now? Am I being aware of what positive means to me? How to have a positive attitude to address my daily tasks and my goals and my life and everything that I am and want to be? This is very important to just, you know, drop in and check with ourselves. What does it mean for me to be positive? And it's absolutely not a one-size-fits-all type of thing because we have to each have our own catered positive definition. Because if we were doing mathematics, you know, plus one would be plus one for everyone, and negative one would be negative one. And that's what positive means, you know? It's that little cross sign. And it could mean, you know, after zero, and it could mean summation, and it could mean, um, you know, a very like set of specific things i can't think of anything else that's it really you know the positive is a as a positive number and positive for addition and then i can't really think of anything else so as you can see when we're doing mathematics we could all agree on one definition of positive and we can't really go that far and um you know with confusion but when we're talking about, are you being positive with your life? Am I being positive with my life? You know, that's not the same thing. We're each a unique individual with a specific story. We all have a story. We, ha we all have an origin story. We all have a, you know, this is when I grew wiser story we all have a this is how i got screwed story you know we do have them whether we like to share these stories or not um so what that does is it makes us unique individuals and you know we're each a summation of all these little facts and you know moments that we lived so there's no way that you know two people are the same even if they're identical twins they led you know different lives they take up space in a different spot you know and that makes it so we have to understand that we're unique whether we choose to embrace it or not is up to us whether we choose to be positive about it or not is up to us you know and our topic today is how how to make a living from being a positivist no how to get away with being how to get away with being a positivist even better negativists are always so mad at you so we have to get away with it I'm glad, I'm glad we, you know, brought this up right now. I really like the title, How to Get Away with Being a Positivist. 
So that makes me want to, you know, shift to another part of the conversation now, which is, okay, we talked about what it is to be a positive, positivist and to live life positively. But how do we get away with it? And that's as important, if not more important, but let's just say as important as, you know, how to be a positivist, how to live positively, how to get away with it. Because as human beings, we're social beings, and we have evolved in a way that makes life competitive because resources are scarce and the toiling is, you know, tough and ongoing. And more often than not, we end up competing with one another rather than embracing one another and lifting each other up, right? It's like if you imagine three people dancing and if each person is dancing separately and is trying to jump, it's one thing. And then if the three people um, lock arms and form a circle and then jump together up and down in a certain rhythm, that is totally different from jumping alone. And I'm using this example to show that we can tell ourselves that we are dancing alone all we want, but in reality, we are constantly surrounded by other minds, other human beings, other opinions, other attitudes, other energies that we're subjected to all the time. And we have to compute how to deal with it, right? Or we can ignore it, but that doesn't make it go away. And let's say you're someone who's worked hard on themselves and reached a state of positive and you know, you're living positively, you know what positive is to you. You open the door of your house or home or whatever, right? And you get out of your cave and you start seeing other people. Now, let's say your neighbor is someone who's going through something. X. Your neighbor's going through X, and your neighbor is really, really unhappy and miserable about X right now. And so you come out of your cave, your neighbor comes out of their cave, you are brimming, you know, the light just emanates from you, brimming with positivity. And your neighbor just doesn't return your good morning or maybe starts playing some, you know, hateful music and just giving you dirty looks and they send their dog to poop on your lawn and they're really bent on doing everything 
to just let you know that right now you can go fuck yourself. Excuse my French with your positive. Now, today's talk is not about why is the neighbor behaving like this. Today's talk is about how to get away with being a positivist. If you have, if you believe that you have reached a state of positive and you are not able at the side of your neighbor to keep being positive, I am afraid to say that unfortunately, my friend, you're mistaken because Again, we don't live in a vacuum, we're social beings, and for us to be able to really be positive, we have to be positive in this world we live in. We can't really think that we're positive when we just lose it at the very like side of other people. That is not being positive. That's a mistaken sense of positivity, because real positive is in the real world with other social human beings who most of the time I will I'm you know I'm sorry to say they will not be happy for you most of the time because of their own suffering they will look at your happiness and they will curse it and they will want to destroy it and you know more more probably than not they will do stuff to try to bring you down and what does this mean to us you know are we doing all this for naught is it like a waste of time to be positive because we have to instead maybe be training to be like skilled warriors or something so we could fight all the time well no you have to realize that your energy is something very powerful and your thoughts are very powerful and um waves and frequency is um physics is real world so so today you're contacting someone and you're imparting onto them your positivity right and you do that by the way by sticking to it by sticking to being positive so no matter how much other people try to destroy you you always come from a place of compassion you always go to it from a place of you know um you know like nietzsche says you could just pass them by you don't have to you know convince them or change them so you continue on your path and eventually when you do contact people because we all contact people whether it's the lady at the grocery store checking us out or whatever you call your mom you impart on them your positivity and then in their turn they go and they talk to other people and they give that energy that they received from you to those people and so on and so forth and in that way you're truly creating a positive world for yourself to live in like day by day step by step and i believe that that's the only way to get away with being a positivist and you know you just stick to it you just stick to it as hard as it is you know all the good stuff come from 
perseverance and faith. So, to get away with being a positivist, you define what positive is, positive is for you, and you embody that, and you don't let anyone bring it down or destroy it or question it. I mean, it's good to question it as long as you bring it back to being positive, and then you just believe in the power that you're creating by like I said, embodying it, imparting it on other people, and they will do their job, and, you know, energy will do its job, and that's how you get away with being a positivist. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. That was wonderful fun. We still have one more conclusion to be done, and um, if anyone wants to... Uh, wage opinions and interact that's probably going to be recording in about five days so go ahead get in touch with us um if you want i could even send you ways to get yourself on and in the podcast it's not difficult anyways thank you diana so much and uh have a good thank day thank you so much keep making a living